but people have remarked that my voice is uh, distinct. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you're on because everyone tells me that my voice is monotone. Now I'm not going to be as exceptional. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the welcome to the Bailey, where our introductions include backhanded compliments. That that was not a compliment. (laughs) I'm not sure if it was less of a compliment to me or to him. Okay, well, well, Yassine sounds more like uh, the computer voice out of a Mac. You sound more like a supervillain, Jay. Yes, I've gotten that one before. Sometimes people ask me to do the weather. (laughs) Okay, I'm glad I'm recording. Surprised you let me in here. (laughs) Well, the ethos of the Bailey is we we strive for the same um, quality control as the subreddit. I see. Now it makes sense. <laughs> so don't be a raging asshole and you're basically welcome. I, I see. I see. I didn't expect it to happen this quickly. I didn't expect much of anything. I was expecting like, you know, negative five points on the pot Reddit posts. <laughs> Maybe a shout out on Sneer Club if we were lucky. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think for an intro... We should introduce ourselves, and as a point of reference, do we want to talk about uh, your top World of Warcraft character sexual fantasy? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I've never played this, a while. This is the joking thing, right? <laughs> You're allowed to joke. Oh, no, this is serious. <laughs> I mean, the suggestion surely wasn't serious. I mean, why not? We can we can do whatever we want. Apple Apple is not gonna. Uh, <laughs> Paul's not going to kick us out of iTunes. <laughs> I, I feel I, I feel like our thoughts, regardless of their quality, might be taken somewhat less seriously if they are prefaced with our World of Warcraft sexual fantasies. <laughs> Especially if we have to make up those sexual fantasies on the spot. <laughs> I don't think you've uh, you've listened to the to the you last. You need to uh, embrace the proper ethos. You can borrow some of mine. <laughs> okay so welcome to the bailey this is the show where asians are not real minorities and autists aren't real disabled i'm your host yasin masood and today's topic is going to be what everyone cannot stop talking about and that's how blizzard got itself into some deep shit regarding the banning of hearthstone player blitzchunk so today we have a, a repertoire of pro blizzard players and we're going to go through each of them and uh, introduce yourselves and tell us what your favorite uh, Blizzard game is. All right. Hello. Or your I'm favorite. McMuster. My, my favorite Blizzard game would have to be StarCraft Brood War. That was a fixture of my childhood. Otherwise, I have not touched much other Blizzard products with a 10-foot pole, aside from the campaign of StarCraft 2. I tried playing that multi, the multiplayer for that, but my, uh, but my ADD-laden... Re- uh, reaction times have slowed with age. I'm Jay. My favorite game is Hearthstone. That sums it up. I'm Cheeseman Sam, and my favorite Blizzard game is StarCraft 2. I played it a little bit, but I really just enjoyed watching the tournaments, the pro scene. Just really interesting seeing like what an individual person, and just at the very high level, just the sort of reaction speed, decision making. Just really enjoyable to watch. Did you also uh, watch a lot of Day 9? What is Day 9? He's a streamer. 
He's very good. Yeah, and he doesn't, and so not so much his own gameplay, but uh, recapping what other people are doing and talking about why they're doing what they're doing. It's pretty fascinating stuff. He 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 started doing analysis of StarCraft too, and and quite deep analysis. Nowadays, he mostly just streams playing other games. Civilized. I'm let's say still civilized. Um, I guess the Blizzard game I played the most was Warcraft or Warcraft Two. I don't remember back in the nineties. Uh, I'm here more for the China angle than for the Blizzard angle. Though I have been like keeping track of the video game community. Okay. 93. My favorite and probably the only Blizzard game that I really like is StarCraft 2, which I enjoy both playing as a filthy casual and as spectating tournaments, which is really entertaining and probably the single biggest thing I watch in terms of video these days. What about you, Musin? I haven't played StarCraft 2. Uh, I would say maybe my favorite is Rock and Roll Racing on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, World of Warcraft because the alternative opener for this episode was going to be World of Warcraft Erotic Fantasies. I've never played World of Warcraft. Maybe an Elfish Ranger would be my World of Warcraft Erotic Fantasy, but I don't know enough about the lore to to really commit to an answer. Elvish women are too pointy. Mm, I mean, it depends what you want. All right, so we're 20 minutes into this and we're not even broaching the topic. Who wants to give an overview of what Blizzard did? Do we want to cover the NBA first, since this is China in general and chronological order might make sense? Okay. On October 4th, uh, the general manager of the Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, made kind of by most standards, at least by Western standards, milquetoast tweet saying fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. That was quickly deleted. And that started kind of this big mess because the NBA has significant economic investments and ties in in China. It's regarded as a significant market for uh, basketball and its teams. Well, there there was um, sort of a two stage thing, as I recall. At first, there was some backlash, uh, some of it out of China, and I believe the NBA, like you know, tried to distance itself. Uh, but then there was some backlash to that distancing from, you know, America and the free world, which is a phrase that is appropriate to employ again, it seems. Uh, and that prompted, you know, the NBA to sort of back up their guy a bit. And and their their backpedaling wasn't really ever all that severe. And, and their support was, you know, strong. I, I don't think the individual, I don't believe, you know, was penalized in any way. And as a result, a number of Chinese partners uh, severed ties or scaled things back, probably under pressure from the Communist Party. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see exactly how much of an economic impact this this would have. Chinese state television, also known as CCTV, which I think is a little creepy, uh, made uh, kind of a statement that says uh, that any comments that challenge a country's sovereignty and social stability were not within the scope of freedom of speech which is an interesting theory. <laughs> well, in, 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 in the scope of Chinese freedom of speech, that's probably yeah. true. Uh, I'm, yes, exactly. Like, it, it seems like they are genuine about believing this, uh, but I, I would kind of want to explore exactly how that works, how freedom of speech works within, that, within those bounds. But it's not, it's not that different from uh, a lot of uh, people in the United States that, that say hate speech is not freedom of speech. Is not free speech. Well, you're free to request more mouths. 
More what? Is that a joke? Uh, like instead of fifty Stalins, fifty Maus. Talking about the fifty Stalins thing. Like the you can you can object, but only for m- more. <laughs> okay. Which I don't think is actually like very true in the in the sense that Mao himself is not very, really, um, I think, a popular figure for the Chinese government. Isn't he kind of a? Isn't there kind of like a pop culture surrounding him though? Isn't can't she like buy lots of Mao merchandise? Um, well. That's more for tourists. No, no, that's that. That's not really true. Lo- lo- local Chinese, many of them revere Mao still. Sure, sure, sure. Pr- propaganda is a powerful force. So uh, the NBA got itself into some trouble with China, and this is kind of still an ongoing and quickly developing story. Obviously, we're not going to be able to cover all of its details. And then another facet of this incident slash debate was... Um, Hearthstone, a game by extremely popular card game by uh, Activision Blizzard and a Hong Kong player by the name of Blish Chung. And I'm not even going to bother pronouncing his real name. At the end of uh, a tournament that he was the winner in, the newscasters sort of allowed him to say, speak his mind. And they knew that it was going to be something related to Hong Kong because he came on the, the cast wearing ski goggles and gas mask which is popularly associated with the Hong Kong protests. Did, did he come on the cat? I, I thought he pulled them over his face right before he said his line. Yeah, but the, you, there was there was a kind of like a few moments where the newscasters, um, and this is kind of translated by someone else, but the newscasters said said something like, okay, we know you're going to say the eight words, uh, but we're not, we're not going to stop you. Uh, and they just kind of like ducked under the desk to give some plausible deniability, which doesn't really necessarily work. Well, the ducking under the desk thing, they were clearly having a joke about like how, oh, we shouldn't be doing this, but we're doing it anyway kind of thing. Because in the video, they're grinning and they come back out into frame several seconds after ducking under the desk, which like they had the ability to do something more than that and they didn't which anyway the reason the caster's reaction is relevant because they also got in trouble for this yeah and this happened on october 8th so four days after daryl mori embroiled the nba into an international scandal with one tweet blizzard responded pretty viciously at least in my opinion or at least decisively they banned the player i believe for life at first right or for a year they gave him a 12-month ban. So they banned him for a year. They took his earnings uh, that he won from the tournament, which has been reported as $10,000. But they, they, also, they also fired the newscasters because they found them to be com- uh, complicit. And the, the reason they kind of... They're, at least their justification for being so decisive in their response is that uh, Blishung violated a rule that is part of the uh, tournament. It's worth reading the full rule that he broke because it's fairly short. Engaging in any act that, in Blizzard's sole discretion, brings you into public disrepute, disrepute, offends a portion or group of the public, or otherwise damages Blizzard's image, will result in removal from Grandmasters and a reduction of the player's prize total to zero USD, in addition to other remedies which may be provided for under the player's handbook and Blizzard website terms. So, taken literally... Everything is going to offend at least one person, which is a portion or group of the public. And therefore, this is clearly just we reserve the right to ban you if 
you do anything we don't like. Yeah. Legally speaking, from my understanding, like that's an enormously broad provision that that would not be an exaggeration to boil down to. We can ban you if you do anything that we don't like. It's only tempered by essentially PR purposes or PR considerations. Even you don't need a very broad reading for what happened to be clearly covered by that. Like it's not just that they phrase it in such a way that they can describe anything. It's more that the even a normal reading covers what had happened. No, don't you think? Yes, of course. But that's they have to do it that way. I mean, they they have, you know, this is an entertainment product. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you could just say, you know, we reserve the right to get rid of you if you're not entertaining anymore or if you endanger our entertainment product. And then those are essentially the same se- same statement. For sure, sure. Yeah, I think this is kind of getting into the discussion about that. It's a little nuanced in the sense that a lot of people feel that it's not unreasonable for Blizzard to have punished or reacted to what was essentially a very political statement on their using their game as a platform, but more so about the the extent of the punishment and the severity and extremity of it. As far as I know, Blizzard kind of, at this point, everyone knows what happened. The internet got mad, trademark, and Blizzard kind of stayed quiet until uh, just yesterday. And that was October 12th when they came out with... Um, a statement that was kind of backpedaling, kind of justifying, not quite clear. Uh, the, first, the, the main thing is they reduced the punishment on the, the player and tried to justify the... Well, they also gave him the pricing back. Yeah, they gave him, they gave him the money back. They reduced the, the suspension to just six months. They didn't fire the casters. They reduced their suspension to six months because they believed that they were complicit in the statement that was distracting from the purpose of the tournament, which was just gaming and entertainment. And, you know, it, it could be plausible, but the other thing that we should point out is the official Weibo account, which is... Um, what's Weibo? It's like a Chinese, Chinese Twitter, basically. Okay, so Chinese Twitter, the official uh, Hearthstone account, uh, wrote that, and there's debate about the uh, translation, but the essentially the spokesperson for Blizzard in China wrote that they express our strong indignation and condemnation of the events, and that they will protect our national dignity. Dignity. So that can either be translated as they will protect our national dignity or safeguard our national honor. I've also seen it translated as uh, protect national sovereignty. Uh, It's kind of hard to parse exactly what they mean by national dignity or honor, but it's kind of uh, alluding to questioning China's sovereignty with regards to Hong Kong. Well, I mean, I mean, another way to put it is, you know, that they're the Weibo post by a Blizzard representative was much to- more obsequious toward China. It was like, you know, we're we're all about China, whereas the English post by the more senior Blizzard guy was a lot more equivocating. Well, so in in, in that, yeah, in in the regards to giving some background on China, um, I've personally uh, I spent about a month traveling around China, and I, I've read a few books about it. Uh, one book in particular, Age of Ambition, uh, which was written by a journalist who worked in China for, I, I believe, a little bit more than a decade. Um, 
goes into some detail on what restrictions uh, journalists and any sort of firm that wants to broadcast information in China uh, has to deal with. Uh, and th- these restrictions are quite onerous. Uh, you have to sign up for, you know, text messages from the Chinese Department of Propaganda. These text messages come often. They give very explicit instructions. You know, you can't use this specific word. You are not allowed to talk about this specific topic. Um, and one thing in particular that's in Age of Ambition, which I, I think is sort of worth bearing in mind is how extremely seriously uh, the Chinese Communist Party takes these kinds of directives. Uh, One story in it is about a lawyer uh, who had made some fuss over uh, a thing local officials were doing in the Chinese countryside. They would seize people's land, sell it to someone that wanted to build a factory on it, say, and then not compensate those people. Uh, the lawyers said, hey, this isn't okay. It's against the Chinese constitution, which many things are, um, and wouldn't be quiet about it. So the police showed up to his house, put him in a van, took him to a warehouse, tied him to a chair, shoved jagged metal under his fingernails, did some other stuff. And at the end of it, they told him, uh, if he wouldn't be quiet, that next time it would be in front of his wife. For someone trying to operate in China, uh, you, you really have to, you know, cohere to these guidelines or, you know, at, at, at the very best, you won't be doing business there anymore. And at the very worst, it can have very human consequences. Uh, I, I think maybe that would, would provide some background on, on that kind of environment. Right. I think everyone kind of, most of our listeners and most of us here live in a jurisdiction where at least freedom of speech is nominally uh, elevated. And the standard, the baseline standard that we are habituated to is significantly different from how China operates. Civilized, do you want to add anything to that? I lived in China for a few years, yeah, and worked there, mostly in the big cities. Uh, traveled around a bit. Just, uh, just give us some, uh, do you want to add anything to Jay's comments? you want to lay the foundation for how you think, as a Frenchman, China operates with regards to issues of freedom of speech and civil liberties in general? If you want to do business in China, then yeah, basically you have to do things their way. Uh, you have to be in a company that's going to be like 50% Chinese, 50% yours. Basically, like any company working in China is not going to actually be the company. It's going to be a local uh, joint venture. So that's even technically the Chinese own enough rights to ruin everything. Plus the extra cases of um, stuff like, like when there's competition between a Chinese company and a foreign company, then the Sometimes the Chinese government will uh, apply regulations unfairly to harm the foreign company so the Chinese company wins the competition, stuff like that. So what you're saying is basically every foreign enterprise operating in China is essentially dealing with a, a Chinese intermediary 
that is an amalgamation of the foreign entity and Chinese interests. Kind of, yes. And uh, plus some extra regulation. Yeah, like there's actually an example of this, that there's the Blizzard Chinese intermediary that works in China. I don't know if it's called Blizzard or what, but like for as an example, as something that was discussed in a more innocuous context, is that something that Hearthstone users have wanted for a long time was, at least in uh, in Europe and in America, was a in in client tournament mode, if that makes sense. Basically, people want to be able to have like little tournaments like set up with like brackets, but like some way to do it in the in the actual Hearthstone client rather than actually having to have a external like tournament structure. The way that it relates to the topic is because you were talking about how companies have to work through an intermediary and China for a few months, people would occasionally make posts. It's like China, their client in Hearthstone actually does have an in-game tournament mode. And that's because like, because they have to work through an intermediary. And so you'll see like, as an example with Blizzard, but also with other gaming companies that the Chinese client will often have differences that are caused by this intermediary. Whereas in the American or European markets, they don't necessarily have the same features. And so just, I guess, as an example of what, uh, stay civilized was talking about about how you have to work through an intermediary and that intermediary actually does have more or less power or control over how that product is presented in china even over the heads of the people who own the company in like america or europe so at least as an example blizzard activision i'm just going to say blizzard for the remaining of this blizzard when it operates in china it has some significant independence in a way in terms of how it implements the specific products. Obviously, there's kind of top-down uh, uniformity when it comes to the offerings it provides, but there's some leeway that the Chinese arm gets to exercise. I, I think that point is also worth observing because it, it sort of indicates that Blizzard doesn't have complete control over that Chinese subsidiary. It's, it's got sort of a partial control. Is, would, would that be accurate, civilized? Yeah, that's what I tell you. Yes. Yeah, that is in fact accurate because the the Weibo statement about protecting our national dignity or whatever the translation may be, that statement was made by their Chinese partner NetEase rather than Blizzard themselves. And Blizzard did not authorize that statement. But their Chinese partner is the one that actually does the business in China, though, right? It's complicated because... Theoretically, they're doing business with Blizzard's property. Like, there is a Chinese version of Hearthstone that Blizzard owns, but because international commerce, there's a Chinese partner. And trying to answer that question almost gets philosophical. Civilized, does this track with uh, what you previously yeah. said? Yeah, well, basically, it's, I mean, for me, their hands are tied in two ways. And that one way, even like on paper, they don't fully own and fully control the company. And then there's also the more implicit aspect that if they don't really play ball, even if they could, like if they could do it what they wanted, if they don't play ball, they can have very bad consequences for their business. Because the government has a tendency to uh, be pretty strong-armed in that, those kind of things. It won't get a lot of backlash. The government won't get a lot of backlash from the people or the press 
for being strong-armed strong against foreign companies because the government, uh, because the, there's this past image of um, foreigners screwing over China all the time. So this is kind of getting back at them. It's worth noting a, a, a carefully managed past image. And, and also the press can't talk about the government being mean because Office of Propaganda. Okay. So it's the sort of thing where it's technically the American government could arbitrarily seize or strong arm certain companies, but the culture, there would be a much greater degree of backlash if like a European or American government tried to do this. But in China, there's much more of a perception or culture of like some degree of like hostility towards foreign companies that would allow for such strong arm maneuvers to like work without much public backlash. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. It's, it's also worth noting that in the U S you know, you have, you have other more formal protections than just a lack of backlash, but one could certainly say that all of those formal protections ultimately rest on public opinion, which is. And the, and the rule of law. And the rule of law. Well, but, but I mean, even the rule of law sort of rests upon public opinion. Because calling a news broadcast or a piece of media state propaganda is basically a pejorative. We throw it, it gets thrown around quite a bit. It's almost like a synonym with fake news. Even, even, and even coordination within news networks. Like, remember, the, this, is a, this is a grave threat to our democracy. Like, if you remember that whole thing where uh, I believe it was Turner Broadcasting. Like they sent out a note and all of their different local news channels put up the same broadcast. And that was a big controversy. I also want to like uh, compare to what Jay was saying a bit earlier is that I'm maybe not as negative on China in that I think it's like the culture is pretty, I guess, positive and vibrant or at least forward looking. There's a lot of bookstores everywhere in which you'll find books on all kinds of political topics that would actually be a bit surprising. So it's not a... It's not as much like North Korea as you might sometimes think. Yeah, no, pl- please don't mistake my, my position. There are, there are far worse places uh, than, than China. I mean, they, you know, Tanzania, I think, recently kidnapped a journalist and he hasn't been heard from since. Uh, and, and, you know, when I was in China, you know, the, the government takes these measures, but as long as you don't run, as long as you don't pose a threat to the government, uh, they they leave you alone. And you know the 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 everyday Chinese are like really kind, nice, you know, pleasant people. I, I at one point had like preloaded onto my phone a little thing translated into Chinese that said, uh, "It is comforting that no matter the nation, place, or time." Very small children are always the same, and I, w- I would show this to parents if they had a little kid, and they loved that. They they really like were always thrilled whenever I showed them it, and and you know I I, I don't mean to say that that the whole thing is bad. I, I just say that you know it, if you run afoul of the Communist Party, then it's very bad. Agreed. But what I wanted to say also is that like. I guess ideas that are mostly like books about contemporary politics or political theory or whatever are fairly common and widespread in China. And there's a lot of like high level, not well, quality discussion on TV networks about, uh, 
about issues. It's not a, I mean, actually, in, in terms of discourse, I don't find it that much worse than what you might get in politics or even ordinary discussions in Europe or the U.S. When you say in terms of discourse, I mean, just the quality of the discussion, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the meaning that the, the, like the quality of the analysis uh, that you might get on a talk show, uh, in that sure, in China, you, maybe some subjects would be very sensitive, but you'll still get some interesting analysis on a lot of things. And I guess you get kind of dumb things in the US or in Europe too. I mean, I, I'm not, I, I don't dispute that, I, but, you know, I feel like it, in a lot of ways, that's, that, that's kind of secondary. Like, like, you know, m- many have pointed out that the, the sort of the virtue of democracy is that you can get people out when they're bad. And whether the discourse is of high quality or low quality, I, I think it's sort of secondary to being able to say, hey, I'm suffering it's the government's fault. Let's change the government. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, that that's the big distinction in my mind between the two cultures. So I can, I can point to an example, I guess, of what civilized is talking about uh, with regards to discourse. There's a storytelling podcast based out of China called Gushi FM. Maybe I'm mispronouncing that, uh, but this was featured in on an NPR segment of rough translation where um, this, this woman had her mom create an online dating profile for her and her mom was messaging men for her to meet and potentially get married with and setting her, her up with all these dates. And her, her, the daughter was just saying, you know, please cut it out. I'm, I don't want you to do, do this anymore. But her mom just kept doing it over and over again. And the point of her story was essentially a criticism of how, uh, families, how intensely involved they are in arranging uh, relationships, but she didn't outright say it. And instead she just shared her story. And the point was kind of evident and obvious based on uh, the way it was presented. So perhaps that's a way for them to maintain discourse while still avoiding the onerous su- surveillance of uh, the government. Well, uh, I, I mean, fr- from what I understand of the propaganda office and, and, you know what was written in, in in what I in the book I did read about it. Uh, that story, if it was on a sensitive topic, would have never been allowed to air. You you just aren't allowed to discuss the topic at all unless it comes from an official source, and and they're going to tell it in a very specific. So I think this sort of implies that the Chinese have a relatively narrow scope of interest, or not so much narrow scope of interest, but a. Uh the stuff outside their scope of interest is relatively open. Is that a fair characterization, Civilized? So, 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 so the Chinese government, I think, is what you meant to say there, McMaster. Yes, thank you. Like the things that don't have specific rules and guidelines on them are more open than we might think. That's what I believe, basically, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. If, if, if you're not running afoul of the Communist Party, you can do whatever you want. So that's kind of like a quick and dirty background on on china so we we discussing we discuss how foreign corporations no matter how powerful still have to operate through an intermediary so going back to blizzard's case when they had their chinese spokesperson uh their chinese hearthstone spokesperson on the chinese twitter weibo 
posting that kind of what I would call a bootlicking message about how they won't tolerate any criticism of national sovereignty. We can surmise based on how uh, these corporations are set up in, in China, we can surmise that a significant portion of NetEase, which is Blizzard's spokesperson, is Chinese. And so they kind of have to operate within the constraints of whatever uh, the Chinese government uh, dictates. Is that a fair assumption? I, I would say absolutely. It's not just that they have to sort of operate within the rules, but as the NBA case illustrates, the entire NBA got banned out of China because one person made a tweet in support of Hong Kong. And so what a lot of people imagine to be happening, and we can't really know for sure if it's the case, but what a lot of people suspect is going on is that Blizzard saw themselves becoming associated with Hong Kong and they were like, oh no, China is going to ban us and we like making money in China. So they did their best to make the incident go away by punishing Blitzchung harshly. Just to be clear, the NBA wasn't banned in China. It was just the Houston Rockets, which is a fairly big deal because the Houston Rockets were actually one of the more one of the bigger franchises as far as popularity in China and like all of the merchandise was like pulled and all that stuff. All the merchandise except Yao Ming jerseys, because I believe he <laughs> played for the Houston Rockets and that was a big part of their popularity. Yeah, that, that's, that's why they're popular because of Yao Ming. Several of the NBA's Chinese partners have suspended their relationship with the league though. That's true. Yeah. They are taking hits on that end. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it was quite just the Houston Rockets, but it was primarily the Houston Rockets. And it's likely that whatever we say now is going to be obsolete by the time this airs. There's a small aside that I think that it would be very good, productive to mention. Uh, have any of you read Brian Kibler's statement or are familiar with areas? I have, yes. Who's Brian Kibler? Brian Kibler is a Hearthstone caster who, a couple days after the announcement of Blitzchung's ban, he announced that he was resigning because of how Blizzard handled the situation. Well, let's be a little more specific. Uh, Kibler is a professional game player who streams a lot of his games, uh, and he plays a number of them, but it's mostly Hearthstone. Uh, he had been given a job to cast at uh i believe it was the at blizzcon at blizzard's big event uh and he decided to pull out from that specifically not from hearthstone in general he's still playing and casting hearthstone because he didn't want to you know represent blizzard's position on this issue uh his post to cheeseman's point uh, i i did write, read it and i thought it was very good uh he he starts by you know, pointing out how brave he thought Blitzchung was, and and I agree with that. He was very brave. Uh, then goes on to observe that you know Blizzard does have a right to you know control what's said on their stream. It's understandable that they wouldn't want political talk. You know, he talks about when he casts, he leaves his political views at home. But then he he points out that you know that said, this particular penalty is really really harsh it's kind of way too harsh uh and that that's the reason for his resignation from the casting at blizzcon that he doesn't want to to endorse it 
So let's try to unpack uh, Blizzard's point of view. They run an entertainment product. People, you know, tune into Hearthstone tournaments not to see the latest hot take, but to watch competitive uh, playing of you know whatever the fuck Hearthstone is. <laughs> a children's card game. Yeah, they uh, want to watch a children's. Oof, owie, uh, careful. Uh, <laughs> it's esports. <laughs> Not sure I would call it a children's card game. They want to watch hardcore esports children's card game action, uh, not <laughs> subscribe to the latest hot take. And so it's fair for them to set up some rules uh, that would limit or potentially eliminate all irrelevant topics and all, all, all problematic topics, things that could threaten their entertainment broadcast. They do not want to set the precedent for their official broadcasts being used as political tools like no one does. Right. And that's reasonable. And I think that's a fair objective. I don't think anyone really will disagree with that. And I would I would be curious to see what how the situation would have been different. For example, if some guy at the end of uh, the Grand Masters tournament put on a MAGA hat and said, you know, make America great again, build that wall. And he got the same punishment as Bliss Shung. Whether people would, I mean, we can kind of surmise, uh, but it would be interesting to see who would rally in, in this guy's defense and who would kind of uh, criticize Blizzard for taking action and curtailing uh, this side or this kind of distraction from the gaming tournament. Yeah, and it's important to note that support of Hong Kong is actually very controversial within China. It's not just like the authoritarian government says so and all the citizens go along with it. Many Chinese people are very nationalistic and not fond of Hong Kong. So a statement in support is controversial in the same way that like shouting out a major political party in the US would be. Yeah, I've seen it compared to saying the South will rise again. To mainlander China, <laughs> it, 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 it is worth noting that that some of that nationalism is predicated upon having incomplete information. Ch- Chinese, you know, the, the the impression given to the Chinese by what the government will allow of Hong Kong is is a different story than what we see here in the West. And we're not we're not going to have time to really get into Hong Kong story, but let's just note that it's a weird situation because it was a British colony and it was only given back to China under some really weird conditions by, uh, at the time, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, where she said, you know, we'll give it back to you, but you want to make sure that it's a two system uh, for at least 99 years. Good luck enforcing that, Britain. Yeah, it's still, and it's still a quasi-autonomous region in China. I don't know how many Chinese people actually would support the Hong Kong protest, but I would expect like a very small number. So I think something like the South would rise again would probably be comparable in terms of popularity. Well, I, I think that with the parallels to like if someone had said South will rise again, I think if that had happened in America, people would be like, what an idiot. I mean, there are people who would obviously be upset about it, but I think it would more generally be seen as what, what is he doing? He's just an idiot. But I think it would be more comparable if someone like donned a MAGA hat and said, build that wall, deport all illegals, because that's more of like representative of a, like an out group as opposed to like a far group of like, who is that person who's saying the South would rise again? But right. If that makes sense. I, I, I agree. Though I think that's actually kind of overstating the popularity of the pro Hong Kong position within China, though. 
because build the wall is a relatively popular perspective in America among Trumpists. Okay, but hold on. I don't, I don't want people to get tripped up on, on the direct comparison to build the wall. Like that's not, that's not relevant, but semantics are fun. <laughs> and also like, it depends which market you're looking at. You could look at it just within the Chinese market or, you know, this, this is more of like an international story. So I'm just kind of, I just gave like a vague uh, example and as a point of comparison. Apartheid would be another interesting comparison. Yes. Yeah, so there's there's a whole host of topics that you can pick that would be similarly divisive. And I think it's fair that interest w- that Blizzard would have an interest in curtailing these sorts of comments. They don't want Hearthstone tournaments to become political platforms. Uh, so at least from my position, the way I'd like to hear from all of you, but the way Blizzard could have done this properly is if they've already established a history of punishing players for going off topic with political slogans and statements. I think that would have been more credible, but in this situation, they kind of came down really hard on this one guy for making a pro Hong Kong statement. And on their, at least, at least their Chinese spokesperson kind of uh, couched it in the terms of, we will always defend the pride and dignity of China at all costs. So there's kind of this, Uh, suspicion about Blizzard's true motivations. If their true motivation was really just keeping the game tournament for gaming only, then you would see some additional evidence. And that's missing in this situation. What does everyone think? So the political point, the issue with that is it would be nice if they had a precedent going, but no one has really made political statements in Blizzard games before, at least in like modern history. And because people were looking very hard for something to find and use as a comparable precedent. And in terms of players going off script and talking politics, it basically hasn't happened. And so on the, it's on the one hand, it would like, they don't have a precedent to say, see, we totally do this all the time. But on the other hand, they're also not clearly being hypocrites because they have never really had the opportunity to flex this particular policy before. Well, my argument to that is if it's never been violated before, then that's a good instance where you just resort to either a warning, a significantly less harsh punishment. So, so you're seeing you're saying the first time someone commits murder, we let them off with a warning? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're if you're talking about the Don. Isn't that what God did? That's just the thing that came to my mind when you yeah. said. I, I mean, so, I, I I really don't agree. The the idea that the first instance should just be a warning, even no. if the first instance okay. is. I will I will justify that. Uh, you're trying to use my own logic against me, and I appreciate that. But yes, uh, if we're talking about we're at the dawn of mankind's evolution, and the first time someone commits murder is when everyone gets around and like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. I absolutely would argue in favor of a warning. Because but but the, we're not at the dawn of mankind's evolution. Like, even no, if this has never happened to Blizzard before, it, it's happened lots of time to other people. It's already written in terms and conditions. Well, no, those terms and conditions are really vague. I don't think that counts. If, it, if they explicitly said, do not make any political slogans, I think that would be more fair in terms of putting people on notice. I, 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 I certainly agree that no political slogans would have helped Blizzard to avoid a lot of uh, public outcry. And, and I think it would have been a good idea to say that. Um, but I, 
I, I don't think that like from a perspective of like how to enforce it, like, like it's, it's it, imagine if you make a new company and, and there's a bunch of other companies that have come before you and they've all dealt with this issue in, in roughly similar ways. And, and that is the case in China, right? There have been lots of companies that have come before Blizzard. They've, all dealt with this issue in similar ways and in Hong I, Kong in particular so the Chinese I think government you're overstressing this point like this is this is pretty much a novel issue because gaming as a spectator sport is still relatively new so the rules and expectations are not well as well established as other areas but but there are lots of other spectator sports yeah but i i, I wouldn't say that they're perfectly analogous I'm not saying that they're perfectly analogous. I'm saying that they're close enough that that we don't have to treat it as the dawn of time. If you look at other examples of like what the NBA did, right? Like the precedent about what to do when a certain person like expresses political views. I mean, at least the precedent of how other companies are handling it is in line with what Blizzard did. If like that's the point that you're making. Like the NBA also did a similar reacted in a similar way. And there's other companies that have reacted in similar ways when someone uses like their company to make a plat well for speech outside of the company, but also using the company's like time and resources to make a political statement in a controversially, like in the scope of like China and stuff. And, and, and in particular, in the case of Hong Kong, there have been Hong Kong companies whose employees have made statements without like the approval of management. I, I think Cathay Airways uh, was a big one here. It, it, it was at one point like the biggest airline in Asia. Um, and one of their employees said something and management didn't come down hard enough on them. And the Chinese government, like I think, forbid them from using airspace or canceled a lot of flights. It, it was a very serious consequence uh, for Cathay's bottom line. So like in, in the sense of I am a company, one, someone affiliated with my company has said something I, you know, operate in or, or related to Hong Kong. Here is, you know, what the consequences will be to my actions you know, the, I think there is actually quite a bit of, of precedent. And, and certainly Blitzchung, you know, he said in his own statements, I knew there would be serious consequences. So does anyone like disagree with the idea that with the concept that Blizzard would punish regard not talking about the severity, but just the idea that what Blitzchung did was a sanctionable or punishable act? Does anyone like disagree with that? So I don't precisely disagree, but I'd like to highlight an angle to this, which is that, so if Blizzard were being perfectly just no politics all the time, then they would have a principled high ground from which to make that claim. But Blizzard themselves will use their games to make political statements. They have a bunch of sort of LGBT-friendly messaging in Overwatch, that amusingly doesn't get published in countries that are not LGBT friendly, but Blizzard will Does that include China. Yep, <gasps> Tracer is straight in China. <laughs> oh. oh boy! Yes, so Blizzard, in fact, makes political statements, and so the rule here is not 
don't make political statements. It's don't make political statements that we don't like. And at that point, they don't really have much high ground to stand on. And if someone is mad at them, they can't say, hey, we have a rule about political statements, because then the person can just say, yes, but I think you should take my stance on Hong Kong. I suppose it's not so much uh, the political statements that they like so much as the political statements that affect their bottom line. Does anyone think that, well, okay, this is, I'm saying this rhetorically, but I don't think, and I think a lot of other people don't think that if Blitzchung had come out and say, Hong Kong is forever a part of China, they need to learn their place or like something like that. If they had said something against like the pro Hong Kong independence movement, like, they would not have come down as hard, if at all, because the concern may have been, well, if we come down against that, then ch- the Chinese government may be see that as like, wait a minute, like you're at, you're like punishing someone for making a statement that's like in favor of like the Chinese government's policies. That would be the interesting counterfactual, wouldn't it? It would. And so this gets to the issue of what were Blizzard's motives in making the ban, because They have an obvious financial incentive to keep China happy, and they theoretically have this semi-principled stance against politics. And in terms of discerning what was their actual motivation, I favor the explanation that they were trying to keep China happy. Because if you look at the original statement uh, of Blitzchung's ban... It opens, and I'll just read the relevant part. During the Asia-Pacific Grandmasters broadcast over the weekend, there was a competition rule violation during a post-match interview involving Blitzchung and two casters, which resulted in the removal of the match VOD replay. Upon further review, we have found that the action has violated the 2019 Hearthstone Grandmasters official competition rules, section 6.1, bracket O, and is individual behavior which does not represent Blizzard or Hearthstone Esports 6.10 is found below. And the interesting thing about this announcement is that they don't actually say what he did. They just say he violated this rule about bringing Blizzard into public disrespute disrepute or offending a group of the public. And it seems to me that if their goal was to establish a norm about, hey, don't talk about politics in our video games, they would say, don't talk about politics in our video games so that people would know what norm they were trying to enforce here. Instead, what has happened is that they came out in terms of just pretend this They are trying as best as they can to make this go away, which, like, if I were a Chinese censor, like, if Blizzard were just a Chinese company, in fact, if Blizzard were owned by the Chinese government, this is approximately the statement I would put out. Like, he did a bad thing. We're not going to tell you what. Just Hong Kong doesn't exist. It's somewhat Orwellian in the way that it refuses to acknowledge what actually happened. And like, it's not conclusive proof, but it looks bad for them. No, it, it, it's, it's not Orwellian. Orwellian would have a five minutes hate. There would be a villain if it was like, if, if it came from the Chinese government, there would be a, a, a villain for us to unite against. I, I think this is more... Well, the villain would be Blitzchung. Yeah, I, 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 well, I, Western powers manipulating people is, is the more common Chinese villain, but, but 
I, 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 may, maybe the villain is Blizzard. I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I feel like it's more likely that, you know, Blizzard didn't want to mention the specific thing because they felt that might gain, like, more dangerous uh, attention from Chinese censors. Like, like what I would imagine is that, like, oh, if we repeat free Hong Kong, even to describe what someone else was saying, that might get us in more trouble with Propaganda Central. So let's let's quickly recap. Does anyone disagree with Blizzchung getting punished for speaking out during a gaming tournament? No. Not really. Well, yes, actually. He's the first person to commit the offense. That means he should be cursed to wander the earth, right? <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, the punish a sanction it can still be a punishment. An analogy that I have is with the lawyer discipline. Sometimes courts just sanction people without suspending them. They just say, "Don't do this again." And that scene is very serious. So you can you can sanction people uh, with a warning. You don't necessarily have to have punishment beyond that. So with sanction as the minimum, no one really disagrees that Blitzchunk should have been at least given a warning. I mean, I would have perfectly understood if they had just said. Uh, this player's uh, actions do not reflect our own. We actually don't agree with it. Even if they're, even if their Chinese subsidiary went ahead and made their same statement, like and condemned Blitzchung, that would have been acceptable to me because that's in their interest. Yeah, I mean that. That's I also would have agreed with that as well. I'm indifferent to which one they would pick. So beyond that, it seems like uh, there's a swirl of suspicion around Blizzard's uh, motives. And whether they are actually motivated from the standpoint of making sure the children's card game is done fairly and for entertainment purposes only, rather than uh, turn being turned into a vehicle for political slogans. And something that was mentioned earlier, but uh, didn't get fully stated, was the disproportionality of it. Because mm-hmm. the initial sanction or the initial punishment they dealt out uh, was a, a year ban and a loss of prize money, right? Yes. All of the prize money he had earned during that Grandmaster's season, which is a fairly long season and the punishment for cheating caught cheating is a three months suspension <laughs> yeah oh no there was a team that was caught cheating and got they got knocked out of the tournament and received no suspension really worse than cheating at the guard game uh, can someone explain how you cheat at hearthstone okay so in this case it was a tournament that was being streamed live on the internet well, specifically streamed with a time delay in order to prevent people like just watching the stream to see what cards are in the opponent's hands and thereby gaining an unfair advantage. And the issue here is that the time delay was only 15 minutes and a match of Hearthstone will very plausibly go longer than 15 minutes. And so in this case, the team was just like at the 15 minute mark. So the reason we know that they were cheating is because they uploaded a video of their side of the play, which happened to contain the audio where at the 15 minute mark in the game, one of the people in their team said, oh, he discarded this card to this effect. And the guy goes, how do you know that? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so they were very obviously watching the other stream and they got in trouble for doing this in the form of being Ban- removed from the tournament and suffering no ban on further play. So basically screen peeking. Yep. Yeah. And from the standpoint of uh, maintaining the integrity of uh, the card game, that seems to be a much more serious offense than this distraction. Yeah, but it's it's much less serious from the perspective of, you know, maintaining the value of our...
or brand. Yeah, that's fair. Are you trying to say that the Chinese don't care as much about cheating? I, I would say yes. The Chinese care much less about cheating than they do maintaining their grip on power. The, the Chinese Communist Party cares much less about cheating than maintaining their grip on power. To, to, in fact, that's actually a common like justification by Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party members that, that, that China has a uniquely violent and civil war strewn history and that like stability is just a much more important priority over there because of that. So let's move on to discuss the Streisand effect. And I think that's what I find so entertaining about this whole debacle is no one seems to learn the lessons of the Streisand effect. I'm sure if they, I mean, who knows, this is a counterfactual, but uh, I'm fairly confident that if Blizzard had just ignored this declaration, it would have been buried uh, much, much sooner than what it has turned into. And I'm kind of excited to see how BlizzCon, which is in two weeks, what's going to happen there, uh, because I think it's still going to be fresh in people's minds. I can promise you one thing that's not going to happen. Public questions. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah buy, buy popcorn futures. Past BlizzCons have had public question sessions, and so... If Blizzard does not do that, then it will be a conspicuous response to this issue. And it's going to be really interesting to see what the internet makes of that. Well, so in, in terms of conspicuous response, uh, w one thing that's interesting to note, Brian Keebler, who we talked about before, he does a weekly YouTube show about Hearthstone with two other casters, Firebat and Frozen. I don't know their real names. Frozen actually works for Blizzard in other capacities as like a caster. And on this most recent show, which discussed the uh, the Blitzchung thing, Frozen was absent. <laughs> he he just wasn't on the show. And he's the host. Kibler's the channel host, but Frodan is the like the host of the actual podcast. Yes, he's he's yes, that is true. Uh, to, to the point about the Streisand effect, I, I don't think this was misunderstanding the Streisand effect. I, I think Blizzard was put between a rock and a hard place. I, I, on the one hand, you know, if we make a big deal about this, it's going to catch fire in, in the blogosphere, the internet, the social media. What do we call it now? Is it not the blog? Anyway, it, it, if if they did nothing, you know. The Chinese censors would come down on them very hard. And if they did something, it can blow up with the Streisand effect. And I, I, I don't think that they really had a good option necessarily. I, I think it was going to be damned either way. Yeah, I don't think the Streisand effect applies here because the point of the Streisand effect is that you can't hide stuff. But Blizzard's intent here was not to hide stuff. Their intent was depending on your level of cynicism, either to court favor with China or to enforce a norm about no politics in Hearthstone. And neither of those require that no one know what he said. They just require that China sees Blizzard punishing him or the general public sees Blizzard punishing him in order to enforce the norm. So I'll, I'll push back on that interpretation because... I don't think Streisand effect necessarily has to be the direct response to hiding something. I think my suspicion is that the intent behind the strict punishment was to discourage anyone from trying this ever again. But instead, 
all that's happened is that uh, there's more casters put at least in the United States, there's more casters putting up signs that say free Hong Kong because there's kind of a response where when you tell people you can't say this, people are just like, well, fuck you. Are you going to stop all of us? And now uh, that's why I'm interested to see how BlizzCon is going to work out. Yeah, I guess you could say it is Streisand effecty in the sense that there are now going to be more people saying exactly what Blitz Chung said, and they have created a larger problem for themselves in that it's going to be very awkward to deal with China in their games now because for a good long while, people are just going to be trying to say stuff that the Chinese censors want to censor in order to get Blizzard in trouble. What you were saying about the Streisand effect is that not so much of trying to hide it, although they did, they deleted the video and all that stuff. I'm sure that they wished in their heart of hearts that people just wouldn't talk about this anymore, but that isn't the world that we lived in. But as far as the Streisand effect, like you said, that people are now, oh yeah, you're going to tell me not to do this? Well, screw you. Like people are going to start like protesting and all that stuff. But I think that like cynically or perhaps not so cynically or justifiably cynically is that I think the how public it was is like kind of the point of it. Like, I think that if they had just initially said, okay, they are going to be suspended for six months and the casters are also going to be suspended for six months. That is a different message than you are banned for a year and we're taking all of your prize money. You're banned. The casters are also banned for a year. And then we make that decision within hours, come down hard. The hammer comes down hard. And then a week later, okay, we'll walk it back a little bit because of all the public pressure and give out a very milk toast sort of PR response. Like, I think that there's a different message that sent with the le- second approach. Not that they necessarily expected to walk it back, but if they come down with the hammer and revert it, that comes across as a lot more of an overt message of we will not stand for this than if they just initially went with the more moderate, reasonable response. What do you mean we will not stand for this? Like for people making statements in support of like Hong Kong or Taiwan or something like that. You think that that the second statement that they put out is more... I think he's saying that the combination of harsh and then walk back the harsh is more of a deterrent than being moderate from the beginning. Hmm. Is that right, Cheeseman? Yes. So another element is so corporations that I think that what it happened is this bad event happened and then this Chinese operated, if not partially owned subsidiary responded in the way that a Chinese subsidiary would respond. And then the parent company, Blizzard, America or whatever, then has to deal with like the consequences of both the event and also the way that their subsidiary responded to the event, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think that the initial response was like signed off by the president of Blizzard, who's the same one who made the statement walking back the decision. Yeah, I think that that's probably the most uh, plausible explanation for the Weibo statement from NetEase. So I know a person who works at Blizzard, and he has confirmed to me that the statement from NetEase was indeed not authorized by Blizzard. They went off on their own, and supposedly the executives at Blizzard are very mad about that because the statement was responsible for pouring a lot of fuel on this fire. And that kind of makes sense when you have a a corporation as large as 
Activision Blizzard, it makes sense that the executives and the main headquarters in the United States would not be micromanaging every single press release that a Chinese subsidiary will be engaging in. Yeah, and you know, to, to, to me, it sort of gets at a, a, a sort of broader point. You know, we're, we're talking about like the Streisand effect and and you know Blizzard's intentions and and the consequences for them. But it's in a lot of ways here. I feel like it's not so much Blizzard that is the actor with a lot of agency in this story. I, I think in a lot of ways. Blizzard is just kind of reacting to events and incentives that have been set up largely, I think, by the Chinese government, because, you know, this sort of action, this harsh punishment is very much the standard playbook in China, as as we saw from NetEase's, you know, very rapid response. Um, And it didn't play well in the rest of the world. I think another broader point here is that you mentioned the Chinese government as an actor, but another one is the audience. Like Blizzard, in this case, has kind of a crowdsourcing thing in that a lot of the popularity is not as much their game, but also the whole stuff around it by semi-independent people who do their own thing. And so Blizzard doesn't really control all that and has to live with... I mean, it's the intersection of crowdsourcing and the old style, more centralized management than maybe China is more used to. Yeah, you know, that, that's a really good point, Civilized, the way in which, like, you know, you, you get all this benefit from this sort of free marketing and social media buzz. But in the process, you you give up some of your control over the message. Suddenly, you realize that half your public hates the other half and they start killing each other instead of... Well, that's a that's a different kind of game then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. They're supposed to be killing each other, but... <laughs> So this whole this whole debacle is kind of demonstrating how committed an entity that is created primarily for the purposes of making a profit can be to principles outside of that goal. Um, and we can see this manifested in many other ways. So the corollary to this whole debacle has been South Park, and they put out a, an episode that was very critical of China, and they got banned, and they put out a statement that was essentially like, well, we don't really care. So Trey Parker and Matt Stone kind of have their own motivations and they're, you know, fucking millionaires at this point. So they're willing to uh, put up with some business setbacks. Uh, but it would be interesting to compare exactly how much money they would lose from being banned in China. And if it's small enough, then, you know, it's not much of a, a, a grandstanding position. It, what it reminds me of is back in 2015, when Mike Pence was the governor of Indiana, he signed into law uh, a religious protection act that a lot of people, quite unfairly in my opinion, interpreted as allowing discrimination against uh, LGBT uh, folks. And a lot of people got on the bandwagon of boycotting Indiana. And like Salesforce, for example, put out a statement saying that we're, as long as this law is in, is in place, we're not going to you know, we're not going to make any conferences or have any ties with Indiana. And I just thought, okay, like, cool. You boycotted Indiana. Like who gives a fuck? I'm sorry, Indiana, but it's not like you're boycotting California or, or New York or someplace that, you know, actually matters from the standpoint of uh, a viable market or your revenue stream. Texas. They didn't boycott Texas. Yeah. There were 13 at the time. They were, this was before the Oberge fell. I don't even know how to pronounce that. The, the Supreme Court decision that allowed gay marriage, there were, I think, like 13 states that prohibited gay marriage. 
Indiana was, I don't believe was one of them. So they were kind of having this, uh, inconsistent enforcement of, well, Indiana's in the news, so we'll just boycott it because it doesn't really affect us anyway. And if any of our uh, listeners happen to be from Indiana, you're welcome to come onto the podcast and defend your state's honor <laughs> after being told your state doesn't matter. <laughs> we'll have an entire episode on the merits of Indiana. It'll be three minutes long. <laughs> wow. wow. That's, uh, you know, I, I have friends hey, from hey, they're Indiana. they're not Mississippi. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. At least they're Missouri, not Mississippi. Missouri, I should say. Mississippi's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, you're, you're thinking of Mississippi. Well, who is it again? At least we're not Missouri, or is it at least no, we're no, not Mississippi? No, no, it's Mississippi. The, the, okay. the, the saying is from West Virginia, and the saying is, thank God for Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> and that has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> so I think that the point that uh, is seen was making is more that like roughly speaking that it's very easy to make a principled stance when it doesn't actually have any consequence for your for you. Yeah, and I'm I'm talking specifically about corporations. Individuals have a much more complex motivations. I I kind of if I was in business place I would have didn't done mostly the same as what they did, but I still have more respect and admiration for what the South Park guys did. Even though they kind like didn't have that much of a coin in the game I, I i agree i think south park handled it better um and and i i would actually say that sometimes a corporation can have pretty complex motivations uh, unilever has had like a lot of interest in things other than the bottom line for a very long time most of its history uh even though they're a public company um i don't know anybody in the games industry that gets into it thinking that they're going to make a bunch of money uh, maybe Strauss Zelnick of Take Two. He's the That's CEO. Not, that, that wasn't my point. I, I, I'm just I, saying, I like the the larger an organization is, the the simple, the more simplified the overall purpose of that organization will have to be. The, the iron law of institutions begins to apply more to less individual matter. I yeah. see. I and, see. And Jeff Jeff talked about this uh, two episodes ago, where he said That's that fair. Uh, That's fair. CEOs have to severely simplify their message in order for that for it to have any effect you're not you're not really going to get nuance from from a corporation that employs thousands and thousands of people ever google did step out of china for what seems to be pretty good reasons yeah it's not just south park that had no skin in the game yeah, another element of this that i'm not sure how applicable it was to the specific decision making process of this case but I think that it could possibly be argued that in some respects, companies have a legal obligation to consider acting in certain ways in way if it affects their bottom line to a certain degree, because the the people who run the company have what I understand is called a fiduciary duty, right, to their shareholders and stuff. And so people can actually get in trouble if they're acting in a way that is irresponsible with like the shareholders, like the stock of the company and stuff like that. So, yeah. So corporations have a duty, a legal obligation to make a profit for their shareholders. But I think that obligation often is used as a crutch to excuse certain behavior that is deemed unpopular because you can, one way that you can, for example, justify it is to say, well, we want to maintain goodwill or maintain good customer loyalty or whatever you want to say. And that is tied to our profit. And people wouldn't really be able to counter you on that. Like it, that wouldn't, that wouldn't form the basis of a shareholder lawsuit. So there's ways that you can justify making a principled stand 
uh, and deviate away from just, well, we're always, we always need to make money. Not that I think making money is bad. It's worth noting that that's not true of all countries. Japan's, you know, it, they may have it on the books that there's a fiduciary duty, but management in, in Japan and, and some other countries very regularly just, you know, shareholder, they're very secondary. Yeah. And thank you, Jay. Disclaimer, I was only talking about the United States because that's only part I'm broadly familiar with. Well, I think it's worth giving a little defense to the idea that Blizzard had some kind of legitimate reason to do this other than kowtowing to China. And the statement that the CEO put out, it came four days after the initial ban. And it basically argued the point that I was highlighting earlier, which is that Blizzard really does want to keep politics out of their video games because if they don't, then it it could become politically charged by anyone and that's bad for everyone, basically. And the way that they argued this was very kind of corporate and bland in the way that you would expect from a big corporate PR statement. But I think it might be worth engaging with the idea that they do actually have this both desire and right to care in that way. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, you know, Hearthstone is fundamentally, Blizzard's business fundamentally is the production of fun. You know, they're not trying to change the world. and, And if people, you know, associate their game with something that they, you know, really believe against, they're not getting any fun out of it. Communities ruined by the culture war, by uh, and I can totally understand everybody wanting to avoid that happening in their place. Indeed, kowtowing to yeah. China or not. I mean, the the existence of the mod itself, right, is like you know Slate Star Codex being like this is too much. Also, the the idea of the culture war coming in and destroying a thing that actually kind of sounds like the perspective of the. Chinese people that I've been seeing, the people who object to statements made by Blitzchung and the amplification of stuff like that. There's, uh, it, it seems as though there is a concern over the destabilizing factor of speech like that. So, so like I said before, stability is, is there, there's a great book, Three Body Problem, uh, by a Chinese author, and it talks about this alien race. Trisolarians, who they have three sons. If the sons come too close or too far, the world becomes too hot or too cold to live. Uh, and so the Trisolarians will like dehydrate themselves to like sort of hibernate in these unstable periods. And then they'll come out and try to live during the stable ones. And the great difficulty of their civilization is that before astronomy, they can't predict how long the stable periods would last. And many saw that as a a metaphor for Chinese history, that you would have these stable periods and then these awful civil wars, one of which, uh, the An Lushan Rebellion. If it had occurred today and had killed a proportional amount of the world's population as it killed when it happened, would basically depopulate North America. That's what Steven Pinker says in his book, but yes. I've heard it 
criticized by historians saying that he's sort of conflating the number of deaths with, with the drop in the number of people in the um, annual, in the like population, how do you call it, population count? Census. In the census, because basically because of the war, there was a strong loss of centralized authority and therefore the census was much less effective. But that doesn't mean all those people not on the census had died. I mean, maybe not. I, I, I love Steven Pinker and am inclined to believe his data over most other people's, but, but maybe he was wrong in this instance. Well, I like him a lot, too. And Either uh, way, a lot of people died. China has a hardcore right. history. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they're very concerned about stability. I fully agree. Yeah. yeah, so I guess I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is like there's a lot of framing this from the perspective of Westerners framing this from the perspective of Western businesses acting in China and what a what is the right thing to do, what is the wrong thing to do from that perspective. But I'm kind of eerie, interested in the case for China's authoritarianism. Because it it's not it's not nineteen eighty four. It's not overtly oppressive to the degree. It's unnerving looking at it this country as a Westerner and seeing how unconcerned people are because it seems like China knows that the velvet glove is the best one to use when the iron glove is not necessary. You know, they, they have less crime uh, than, than in the United States. Certainly uh, all those, all those inconvenient rights we have. <laughs> well, to be fair, it, a lot of places have less crime than the United States. Yeah. But China's like very large and has big cities and I, I don't know. It, it's, so do they actually have less crime or do they have less crime in the same way that they have less reported air pollution because they fudge their stats? So it's, it's a good question, but I've, you know, and, and maybe civilized can give his perspective on this. But um, I, people that I've talked to have reported that they felt safer from like robbery and stuff in China than, than in the United States. And, and I haven't heard anything about those particular statistics being massaged, but civilized, what do you think? Same as you, same as you. It's a fairly safe place. Mostly women can walk around at night without being too concerned. So yeah, seems um, like, I mean, that said, you know, it, it's, you know, what, what is the price of Liberty? You know, what, what trade-offs are you, are you willing to make? And, and that's, you know, to some extent, that's a, that's sort of a personal choice for people, you know. It, it, maybe you do value stability more. Maybe you have kids. Uh, maybe you you don't care, or, or or maybe you feel you do. I feel like maybe the the deeper question is what is the long term impact? Because you know, in, in a lot of ways, the 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 great virtue of freedom and democracy is less so much that it always does everything right. And more that when you do something wrong, when you get a bad king or a bad policy, it's relatively easy to get rid of it. And in more authoritarian societies, you know, when you have a bad king, you may just have that king until he dies. Yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't. China's system is more oligarchical than straight up. Xi uh, Jinping is top doggo. Well, it, it it was certainly, but I mean, it's all. I mean, Mao was pretty pretty monarchical, and you know, Xi Jinping is certainly a lot more of a monarch than Hu Jintao was. 
Does anyone else think he looks like Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> Damn right he does. I just wanted to get banned in uh, in China. His hand in the honeypot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think one aspect there, there were, I think Jay, you, I think you were talking about the trade-off between stability and freedom, like very broad strokes. But uh, one other aspect is more that China, in my opinion, has been progressing in the direction of more openness, um, better education, more understanding of the world, etc. So, oh yes, I see the current situation. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly in that regard. Yeah between uh like maoist china and a more open and pluralist society the way we're used to and the reason that things are still a bit rough is that we're not there yet the people are not really educated or at least yeah it's 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 actually interesting you say that civilized because that has been a refrain of actually a lot of communist party officials for some time but that we would like democracy, but unfortunately, you see the people, they are not educated enough to vote. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not ready for it yet. Yeah. And, and, and you do wonder, you know, to what, ex- because it's obviously, you know, there are obviously societies where that is just true. Like, you know, if you have a bunch of illiterate sheep herders or and it's Francis Fukuyama talks about this in his book, that the natural state of democracy is sort of corruption. Uh, and most democracies have to like grow quite a bit to get out of that. Um, so, so you can sort of like sympathize with that with that argument that that they're not ready for it yet. But on the other hand, you know, what a convenient argument for the tyrant, you know, that 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 people just aren't ready for it yet. It's it's hard to know where the truth really lies. Agreed, and and I tend to like be willing to believe that things are opening up because the internet is not fully open, but it's certainly much more open than whatever, uh, like basically somebody in China who wants to learn things will be able to learn what they want. And that wasn't the case like 20, 30 years ago. That is true. Although I, I wonder if, you know, maybe we're beginning to see a turn in the other direction. 93, what were you saying? The internet in China, they will be able to learn some things that they want to, but China does exercise a lot of control over what manages to be seen on the Chinese internet. Yeah, the T- Tiananmen Square does not, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you put that into Baidu, doesn't show you tanks. Uh, so this is interesting conversation, but I think we're going off topic, off of shitting on Blizzard. I'm just going to wrap it up unless someone has anything they want to conclude on. And it has to be tied to our original topic. Okay, well, I was, I was more interested in getting to the idea of, is authoritarianism actually good, though? Oh, my God, no. <laughs> I'm not going to edit a three-hour episode. Well, so, so I, I, I would love to end with uh, what Keebler in his post began with, which, um, you know, re- regardless of, of what all the corporations and, and governments and everyone else like that have done, that, that I just want to, you know, point out that what Blitzchung did was very brave and, you know, that that I really admire his courage, at least, in in doing what he did. Yeah, I also agree because he's not doing it from a p- position of safety. No, so it it speaks no, he is not a lot more to his courage. And sorry, Indiana, I didn't totally mean it. <laughs>